The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. Hello, I'm joined in the studio today by Newton Fund Manager David Cumming, who this month is celebrating the milestone of 40 years as an investor in UK equities after a career which has also spanned Aviva Investors, Standard Life and several other firms. His BNY Mellon UK Income Fund has also been a strong performer lately, with Cumming recently winning back a CityWire AAA rating for leading risk-adjusted returns. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. I didn't know we got a rating back, so that's good news. Well, that, 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 that is good news after 40 years. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I've teed you up. You, you said yeah. you started working at Royal London almost kind yeah. of 40 years to the day. Yeah, pretty um, much. What, what's been the biggest change in the city or fund management more narrowly over that time? Yeah, it's a tricky question. I think the, the easy answer is that the reality is not that much has changed when it comes to seeing companies... You know, trying to get a view against consensus. The asking, core part of the job. The core part of the job is very similar. Seeing management, asking questions about the business, trying to get a, an angle, and that drives your your sort of decision on the stock. Yeah. The noise is off. I've changed quite a bit. So, uh, in a way, when I joined, it was very male-dominated, white. Most people went to private school. Mm. I, I didn't. Um, so that that's obviously changed for the better. Clothing's changed. I still wear a suit. <laughs> Nobody else does. Yeah. Um, people dress as if they've just cleared out the garage. So th- th- that's been a bit of a change. I suppose in the investing bit, mm. there's more data. There's a lot more information in terms of risk analytics. More stuff's on the web. Yeah. Uh, you can pull a lot of information in on companies. You can do sophistication in terms of risk. I'd say financial analysis, uh, portfolio construction. That's all got better and inverted commas, but certainly more sophisticated. And then the competition's changed. So you've got index funds, right. ETFs, that sort of thing has changed. How's, how's that kind of practically changed your, your job? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I mean yeah. 1983 must have been very early days of Yeah, well, funds. I suppose the amusing thing about 1983 is I joined Royal London um, and was started dealing about two weeks later. Mm. Nowadays, you have to say exams and... You, you, you're not allowed to do anything for about two years. So, right. so the, the controls are a little bit different. Um, in terms of how it's changed for me, no, I, I've run money all the time mm-hmm. over that period. I've, always, I've done other stuff, so like I've been a CIO and, and managed people and tried to build businesses, but run money all the time through that period. And I think, I generally think that bit has not changed very much. I know that sounds a bit boring. Um, I think it's like ESGs come in. The competition's yeah. a bit different. People have gone global. UK has been de- has been in decline as a you know as an asset class. UK something we may come so, on to. So we could come on to that. But but uh, in terms of what I've done, trying to be the index, you know, reporting to clients, those things have broadly been the same. Mm. Um, regulations tougher. You you don't get invited to Wimbledon. You don't get to dinner so much. Um, it's less fun in that sense. But that that was done for a reason. So yeah. so it's probably less um, relaxed, a little bit more regulation, 
more controlled. Yeah. Well, one, um, one thing I was going to ask was, you know, I'm sure this is a very yeah. different place. Yeah, um, yeah, from, yeah it's from a what it was. Place. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it, it will have professionalized a lot. Yeah. Um, has yeah. anything been lost? Do you, do you, do you think? Or well, it's sort of joy to be for all, all the change stuff. been for the better. Yeah, I think it's probably less fun. Okay. You know, you 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 tend to go out for coffees now, and you'll go for dinner. Yeah. Lunches not so much. Um, it's probably more intense. It's certainly more controlled. Uh, certainly more regulation. Um, and someone like me, who's not really an admin guy, uh, that's a bit of a bore. Mm. Um, it's probably better for the consumer, um, uh, etc. But yeah, so in terms of being lost, it's just probably not so uh, relaxed. It's not so much fun. Relationships are, are probably not as strong as they were between brokers and, and fund managers. It's a, right. bit, a little bit more sort of professional let's say but but not quite as colorful and what about i mean you mentioned brokers there i mean yeah what about the way you kind of consume research i mean that that's an area that's kind yeah. of come back into focus recently yeah right? well i've always been keen on research you know i like speaking to analysts except i mean brokers have changed when i started they all the sort of evocative names like desut and bevan and yeah and montague lobos and kaz they, they all americans came in all changed but but um again that, that they're still there they don't make as much money you could argue the quality of the sales desk and research is as strong as it was 20 years ago, question mark. Post-Mifid and that kind Post of stuff. Post-Mifid, it's got, um, yeah, it's, it's to some extent not as strong. Mm. It's not necessarily a problem because as long as you have company access, which we do, and as I said, you've got tons of stuff on the web, you can use that. And there are still good analysts out there, but it's, it's not as, uh, in terms of a prolific set of really strong sales and research feeding into us, yeah, that's been that's been diluted really. I think it's okay. not as strong as it was. And what about you know, over there's so much doom and gloom about UK equities. Yeah, moment. yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you've been at it forty years, as we, we said. Mm. Is it really so bad out there? Well, I, I am generally pretty optimistic, and I'm not always optimistic being Scottish. Okay, but but um, yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, the UK equity market at the moment is cheap relative to its history. It's mm. 20% cheaper than normal in terms of PEs. It's even cheaper against US markets as well. So so on a valuation basis, UK equity markets is, is very lowly rated. Yes. And and then I would argue rates have peaked, inflation's peaked, things are getting better. Um, but the sentiment is, is very depressed, flows are negative. Um, you know, retail investors focus a bit more on higher rates, etc. Yeah. But um, index on a P of 10 yielding four, I mean, that is a very low number. And I, I see a lot of companies, dividends are going to grow. Um, you know, the market's pretty gloomy about recession, probably not going to get a recession in the UK at least. Um, so we're on the cusp of things getting better, valuations low, it's unloved. Um, those are sort of attributes sure. that are positive in my book. I suppose, you know, we've been having these kind of conversations about the UK market for a few years now. Really. Yeah. And I did see a note the other day saying that actually since um, the kind of vaccine news in late 2020, mm -hmm. actually the UK has beaten the S&P. Yeah, 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 yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But I suppose... As I say, the, the, this kind of lowly valuation in the UK has been a long-running thing. I mean, what policy-wise, do, do you think the government needs to act? You know, yeah. what, what do you think should change? Yeah, just, just going back, it hasn't always been... I mean, pre-08, the pre or 07, mm. the UK used to trade in line with the US. It's okay. now, now 35 40% discount. Mm. So, so it has derated. In terms of what the government needs to do, um, well, I think... 
I think the good thing is that the government is a little bit more switched on that they've got an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't like to see listings, people defecting to the US, etc. So I'd say simplistically, be more positive on business, pro-business rhetoric. Um, and I think that's happening a little bit. Get the retail, retail investor excited again about equities. Retail participation in the UK is very low relative to history. So you've got things like ISAs, etc., mm. that you could stimulate. Then the other thing is pension funds and insurance companies. This is a bit boring, but things like risk-weighted assets, how they have to allocate capital if they hold equities is quite onerous. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in my view, equities are not as risky as some of the regulators would suggest. And you know, holding highly geared bonds relative to equities. Um, I think they could move that around a bit to make equities an easier asset class to hold. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, uh, you know, I, I wait think, and see. Wait and see because logic prevails. If if the UK market's very cheap mm. and nothing goes horribly wrong, it starts outperforming. It creates its own momentum, and now we've got higher rates, a bit more inflation, sort of old economy defensive versus high-tech new yeah. uh, might not look so bad. Sure. Um, and that's one of the reasons the UK is a bit better recently. What What did you think about the mansion house reforms in particular? You know, the commitment by big defined contribution pension funds to introduce 5% into unlisted assets. Yeah, so not necessarily in the UK, but that's yeah, the Yeah, it's not something I focus on that much. Sure. I think it's the, at the, the point I would make mm. is that, uh, you know, I think it'd be useful if people focus on, on the economy as a whole, not just tech. And these tech in the UK is one and a half percent of the index. Mm. It's not very much. Um, so I think there are other businesses, healthcare, media, etc., which are are interesting. So I think you just have to look at it as a whole. And again, unless security is quite a small part of of the equation. So mm-hmm. from a market perspective, you know, it wasn't an issue. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. You, I think you or maybe someone else put in the briefing notes of this, it's, stri- it's striking just how little has really changed in the UK market yeah. as an investor. I think a lot of that was about that 1.5% weighting in tech you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it a problem or not? Well, I don't care. I, I, I try and be the index. Yeah. So my, my you know, I, your, your clients tend to give you money to do to be an index rather than just say do your best. There's usually yeah. some sort of target. You know, the UK missed out on the tech a long time ago, for whatever reason, and so we just missed out having these companies based here, mm. and that, that was obviously a disappointment. I I'm I'm there to try and beat the index, not change change the index. I'd like to see companies not defect, um, and so it's disappointing when companies like CRH or Smurfit move. But I I still think this UK is a pretty broad market, a lot of opportunity to to, to buy stocks across the piece. So. I don't think it's a major a major problem. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, having more companies listed here, fine. The fact that tech's low, that doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Um, you know, your own fund might well be described as old economy heavy yeah. at the moment. It is an income fund. Yeah. But you know, in the top ten, we've got names like Shell, BP, yeah. Glencore, yeah. Glencore, which I think just today, you know, has yeah, made the, another the move to buy, yeah, buy yeah, a, a coal company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, British American tobacco banks. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, d- does that just reflect the opportunities out there? Is that about your yeah. income focus? Yeah. So I saw that question. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we are biased to old economy, actually, because okay. um, rel- relative to other income funds, so we're actually underweight tobacco, we're all imperial, mm. um, we're long industrials, we're underweight utilities, underweight telcos. So I, I think our positioning at the moment, we are more bullish about recovery 
So we're more economy sensitive. So hence more industrials, more materials, um, oil to some extent fits that. So I'm not, we're, not, uh, we're not biased. I mean, we do have some stocks that might be perceived as being dull or, or low growth, but throwing off income. But at mm. the moment, the good thing about the UK market is either you get a good yield across the piece and dividends are well covered, so we expect dividend growth. And we don't bar bill, but we've got we've got we've got media exposure. We've got quite a lot of healthcare exposure. Some of the industrials have got quite good growth. So I would say I would say it's pretty broadly spread, actually. Okay. Um, so we're we're actually trying not to be defensive. Mm. Um, so we want to we want to be you the market to be, when it goes up, rather than lose money more slowly right. than everyone else. Um, is how I'd put it at the moment. Okay. So have you um, been adding a bit of cyclicality? Or? Yeah, we have in the last in the last nine months. We've been broadly edging into a few new things like property we never bought before. Yeah, um, and that's recent. So uh, like things like land sex is, is a holding for us. They've reported today actually. Um, and we've been out a bit to industrials, a bit to materials, and pulling a little bit back from. So we're underweight staples, which mm. is uh, a few big stocks in there. We don't we don't own Unilever and Unilever, so Diageo, the okay. two big ones. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned property uh, and you mm. know land securities. Yeah. You own uh, house builder as well. Yeah. Hammerson, yeah, shopping centre yeah, owner, yeah. Uh, which there's been a lot of negative headlines about for a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, do you think kind of sentiment on property overall has got too negative then? Yeah, so I think uh, the reason we bought into properties, A, they're trending at big discounts mm. to NAV. Um, obviously, the, the yields popped, um, and but we think bond yields uh, and interest rates have peaked, mm. and that is moving in the right direction. And and some property companies like Landsex today, they're getting rental growth. Retail's doing quite well. And, and Hamson was up 10% yesterday because yeah. there was a rumour they are going to sell one of their assets. So Hamson's trading at 50% discount to NAV. Um, so the market's plugged in quite a big negative outlook. Things are getting a little bit better. The pressure on bond yields is probably eased, again, unloved. Uh, and as long as you're in the right, as long as you've got prime retail, decent office, you're okay. Um, yeah. Land, land sex at the moment yields about 6.5% mm-hmm. at dividend yield, and that dividend's going up. Um, that's not bad. That's not a bad base if you're already on a 30% discount to NAV. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mentioning dividends, one other thing I kind of want to yeah. ask about this U- broader UK question yeah. is, you know, there are people who say that yeah, British investors' love of income is is almost unique, yeah. uh, and that being too dividend centric, you know, pushing for high dividends from companies is yeah. a big problem. You're, you're giving a kind of wry smile. I mean, what, what, I, I, what yeah, do you I, make of that? I just I don't think that's an issue. I think I think it's good for if you're a long term investor, mm. dividends is what you get. Um, I think now there's a little bit of inflation back and as rates are a little bit higher, I think it's important companies pay dividends. I think it's only a problem if you're pushing companies to pay dividends when they shouldn't be paying dividends. So they, where they should be investing or you somehow you're damaging the company by forcing them to keep paying dividends. A, I don't think, a, I don't think income funds do that. And if, if they were pushing that, companies shouldn't be listening. Mm. They should be doing the right thing. So I think it's healthy, given we've talked about the retail investor not being participative enough, it's healthy, at least they are buying income funds. Yeah. And I think there is, you know, UK equity market is one where there's quite a lot of income. So um, the tax treatment is such that it's, it's, it's good in the UK. It's a differentiator. Income at the moment is well covered. So dividends in the UK market covered two times, roughly. 
by by cash flow. Better, better so, than better than it might have been. Better might, so then, dividends, dividends. I think dividends will go through you know through this recession. Yeah. If there is one, which we don't think there will be, but um, so dividends are still growing, um, and I don't. I, I generally don't think it's a negative that uh, companies are paying dividends. We we encourage them to grow dividends sustainably, um, and you know we spend time trying to work out where companies can grow, and grow the cash flow and then grow the dividends and. Final thing is, if you look at UK equity market, about two thirds plus of the, the return comes from dividends rather than capital. Right. So it's quite important. Sure. Um, you you kind of mentioned earlier the the outflows from UK equity. Yeah, firms. yeah. I suppose you know, as if I imagine, you will have been through periods of boom in one asset class, yeah, busting yeah. another. Yeah, yeah. Psychologically, I mean, what what's it like dealing with? Repeated outflows. Yeah, well, we've had inflows. You've had inflows, <laughs> so that's good. So, so we're unusual. So numbers. So, yeah. So I think if you perform well, you can still get inflows. So yeah, and we have an inflow. So genuinely, no, it's, not, it's, it's a, not a problem. It's a one point four billion for, pound fund, roughly. Yeah, one point five. Yeah, one point five. Yeah. Okay, so, 1. Yeah, 5, so yeah. one point five. So it's reasonable size, but we've had yeah about three hundred million of inflows last uh, eighteen months, let's say. So that's okay. And again, I, I agree that the, in, the industry's had outflows. So but you've bought the trend. So we bought the trend. But having said that, obviously, if you if the industry is seeing it, it outflows, which it has. Um, yeah, that does create a little bit of pressure. Yeah. But, I mean, from my perspective, you're looking for opportunities. If people are forced sellers, that's usually you want to be on the other side of that trade. Um, but I, I do think I do think we're in the quite close to the sort of darkest before the dawn moment here. Yeah. Because, as I said earlier, UK is very cheap. It's cheap relative to cheap relative to global markets, and things are turning. So logic does tend to prevail. So you'll get bids and M and A at some point if this doesn't correct the valuation gap um so so i psychologically you know the industry's under pressure you know fund managers um aren't making as much money as they used to um so that's uh, an issue but as an investor it's not not a problem for yeah. me not for us anyway i mean you mentioned adding some cyclicality in some yeah. of the sectors you were looking at i mean have you also been looking more at small caps if you if you're buying yeah. kind of darkest for the dawn yeah. thesis or not small cap really because that's that's not well, what it's you just, do, it's just or, or you've well, got other no, worries. Yeah, liquidity is important. So mm. uh, you know you've seen other income or funds get into trouble by getting too much too liquid. So we've always stayed relatively liquid, but there are we've gone down the size scale a little bit into the mid cap area, not small cap. Okay. So yeah, the fund we invest in tends not to drop below sort of eight hundred million sterling market cap, which would be the sort of two fifty level. Mm. Um, we can also invest twenty percent overseas, which you take which, quite liberal. Which we which right? we do take advantage of. So that's really if we think we've got a better option in France or Germany versus the UK equivalent, or we can play a a, a trend or a theme that we think is attractive. We just can't play in the UK, mm. um, and that helps to us dropping too low in the mid cap. So the mid cap has been a bit of a graveyard um, in the UK in the last eighteen months, and one of the reasons we've done a little bit better actually is we've We've avoided that, but there are quite a few cheap mid-cap stocks. So there are a lot of cheap stocks. You're getting tempted. So, (laughs) so we've added a little bit, but we've not. We're still relatively competition. Our size bias is probably slightly higher, but we're we have got a few stocks in the two fifty. Okay, Um, you know, you're relatively uh, bullish on oil energy stocks. It it seems. Yes. Uh, And Drax as well. I mean, why that bullishness? 
Well, dra drags are slightly different. We've only just bought drags. Okay. Um, um, but on energy, we bounce around a bit, but net net, we're bullish. Mm. Uh, and it's not. It's more that the oil companies are throwing off so much cash. So the the free cash for yields, so the cash relative they're throwing off relative to market cap, is about fifteen percent. So if if a company's giving you double digit buybacks and dividends, then that gives you that's a lot to go for. And and and, and Shell and PP are doing that. So as long as the oil price stays sort of seventy to eighty dollars, they've got double digit free cash for yields. So as long as you think there's not going to be a hard recession that's really going to pull the oil price down, mm. then the oil companies just look too cheap. Um, and that's that's the I mean. It's not a sort of, hey, I'm really bullish about the oil price. or, um, But but things like refining capacity, some of the stuff the oil companies do, LNG, markets are quite tight, um, so they make better margins, plus the oil price is reason support if you've got OPEC protecting it. Mm. Um the simple one I'd use in, say, Shell, which is our largest holding, but it's a big part of the index. Yeah. Um, and they've doubled the earnings since 2019, and the shares are roughly the same. So there's been a big derating. ESG's obviously been a factor, but they've got new management. They've got cost things to do. There's a few sort of stock-specific things as well, which are supportive. Yeah. Um, but it's basically they're really cheap, Okay. in, in, in our view. Sure. And... Um we mentioned the Glencore. Glencore. Glencore deal. Yeah, that's, they're not changing coal. the name to Glencore. No. <laughs> that's the opposite of what they're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. We mentioned that earlier. I mean, what, what, what do you think of that deal and pushing more into coal now? Yeah, so um, I think it's a good deal. But just on coal, there's, mm. there's thermal coal and met coal. So the, the people, people really don't like thermal coal, sure. which is what goes into power. I think they're pushing more And they're into buying the... what's called met coal, which goes into steel. Okay. So, so it's still coal. But it's not got quite the sort of opprobrium uh, attached to coal in terms of carbon emissions. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a logical deal. They've got cash to spend. You know, tech or you know had, had a few difficulties. So the fact they've done the deal today shares are up a bit. I think it's positive. They're, they're planning to spin it off. Okay. Um, and Glencore's got a lot of copper exposure. Got a lot of coal, thermal, and met coal now. Um, pretty lowly rated. Yeah, um, and do you, do you again, support that plan to spin off the coal assets then? Because I, I guess that creates a decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I personally not, right? think they, they might not spin it off. Okay. Um, the, the intention is to spin it off and keep it for a couple of years, but I think they'll reassess the situation. Yeah. Um, but the plan is for them to spin it off. And if they get a decent price, fine. It's um, It crystallizes better value for the coal assets. Yeah. We'll wait and see. Um, you know, ESG, yeah. you mentioned it, it's been a major trend yeah, yeah. In, in recent yeah, years, right? Yeah. I suppose, how have you responded? As an, inve well, as, as yeah. an investor, it's been, it's been an interesting thing. I, I think it's, it's come from, I wouldn't say come from nowhere, but it's sort of burst on the scene pretty strongly in the last five years. Um, I think there's been a switch to, I mean, my focus, because the fund I run isn't a sustainable fund, we run sustainable funds at Newton, but yeah. is you is how you monetize ESG. You know, governance is important. License to operate in terms of the environment and social issues are important. And and so it, these are, I think it's quite legitimate to look at ESG in a way that creates opportunities and risks mm. in terms of performance. As part of the investment as part process. of the investment process. And I think so I think you have to look at that now. And, and the fact the market is more focused on social issues, environment issues, regulatory factors can be a, a, an issue. 
I think you have to you have to do ESG as a matter of course. Mm. When you move away to invest for purpose as a well as a way from performance, and you're trying to create outcomes linked to carbon emissions or social agenda, whatever, that's slightly different. Mm. And we've got funds that do that, um, and and I think that will always be there. But I, I think at the moment the market sort of I would say ESG's paused in terms of its um, uptake. Uh, uptake, yeah. And and uh, so I think there's been more of a setback, like ESG's part of the daily part doing business, and then there's thematic or um, purpose-based funds that can try and capture, you know, outcomes that might not be so performance-driven. Yeah. Um, and that will be there as well. That might be reaching steady state now. So okay. uh, I think it's... It's with us and it will stay and it's changed the way companies think to some extent, probably a good thing. Mm. Um, and But it's become mainstream, I think, for people like me. Okay. Um, last question, I suppose. It might be one of those kind of dreaded questions. All right, okay. I want on. to ask you about your kind of, you know, your biggest winners over 40 years yeah. and also maybe your biggest mistakes. Yeah. I wonder, I'll let you answer in any well, order you want, but I yeah, wonder I'll, if you can just reflect yeah, no, on, okay, on that okay. Yeah, okay. So answer that by not quite answering it. So I think... I think fund management is not about winners and losers. Okay. It's about getting more things right than wrong. Mm. So if you if you get six and a half out of ten, you're doing pretty well, and you don't want to go for death or glory. Yeah. And so that mindset of looking for big winners or whatever, usually big winners have got risk attached. Right. So, so getting good ideas, seeing companies on a regular basis, getting better get information full and consensus, use doing the analytics, having a portfolio construction that has got risks balanced, but enough risk to make a difference. Mm. And then you get some right, you get some wrong, because um, you're always going to get things wrong is how it works. So, I mean, I can, I can think of stocks have gone up a lot and things have gone bust. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you. But but I, I don't think it that's matters. Not really the it's point. not the mindset. The mindset is get me lots of ideas, see as many companies as you, like, as you can, try and analyze the key issues with companies, um, try and get a view on those key issues relative to consensus mm. to give you the angle, cross-reference, repeat, 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 try and understand the macro, retain emotional control, uh, you know, don't get to be quite a bit of sociopath yeah. but, uh, and, and detached, but aware of the crowd. That's how it works for me. Um, and, that's, and, and that's why I say it hasn't really changed, actually. Okay. Um, so that's... Well, and then you have winners and losers. You always get things wrong. Things come left field. The, the big losers and winners are when you get maybe psychologically bogged down. The key is not to ah, okay. get too attached or too, or too bullish. So uh, I think that sort of being dispassionate and, and being quite cold about things, despite mm. me being quite not necessarily that sort of person in real life, but, but I think it's quite important as an investor. So I'm, I'm, pretty, um, I'm pretty cold and dispassionate when it comes to companies, etc. Okay. And I think that helps. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, we're about out of time there, David. So yeah. uh, thanks very much for joining us today. And uh, maybe Great, we'll finish fun. on that note. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. 
Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.